Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. We would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. at our new location at 5103 Pegasus Court. To learn more about what Sunday mornings at Collective look like, please head to mycollective.church and click on what to expect. There are going to be a lot of great things at Collective this summer as Maryland opens up, so stay tuned for upcoming events and announcements as we continue to try to make an impact in our city. Now here's Sunday's message. My senior year of college, I lived in an apartment on campus with some of my friends. And we had a pretty sweet setup for a group of 22-year-olds in 2019. Uh, We had a massive flat screen, surround sound, Xbox, PlayStation, and a brand new Blu-ray player. Now, for those of you who are under 21 and you don't know what Blu-rays are, they're discs. And you can actually watch movies on them. And we had to pay for them, or sometimes they'd ship them to us in the mail. That's a whole other thing. And then we would play them, and then we were better than DVDs, but you had to buy them because you couldn't show your content online. And our setup was easily the best in our apartment complex, so we regularly hosted movie nights. One night, we had about 15 people over to watch the horror movie, The Others. Now, if you've seen it, you know this movie is terrifying. In fact, it's so scary that our neighbors beneath us could hear the movie, and they said just the sound coming through the floor was freaking them out. And when the movie ended, we were all on edge, and we had that like post-scary movie jitters feeling. And that's when one of my friends said, did you know that that's based on a true story? Which just freaked out everyone more. Because it was a scary movie before, but the fact that it might have happened in real life made it horrifying. So much so that when everyone finally left, we checked every single closet in our apartment, and we opened up our shower curtain to make sure that no one was hiding in there trying to murder us. You all do that too, so it's all right. You know, when watching a movie or a TV show or reading a book, listening to a podcast, whatever it may be, when we find out that the story that is being told is based on a true story, it changes things. It makes it real. It makes it possible. And when it comes to reading the Bible, we often forget that they are real stories with real people. Because maybe we grew up watching Veggie Tales, where a tomato and a cucumber kidified them to make the stories feel safer for us. Or maybe you went to Sunday school and Miss Betty used flannel graph and made the stories seem like fairy tales. Also, if you don't know what Veggie Tales and flannel graph are, you aren't missing out. It's okay. So the problem is that when we read these stories in the Bible, we tend to put other people in a different category than people like us, right? Like they were tapped into something that we don't have access to. Like God changed them or changed from the time these stories took place until now. So while we read these stories and they're inspiring or there's a good moral lesson to be learned, the truth is a lot of us have landed in a place when reading the Bible where we think, good for them. Right? Good for those people, but that could never happen to me because I'm not like them. And so today we're kicking off a new series called Based on a True Story, where we're going to read some incredible stories from the Old Testament in the Bible. And the most important thing to keep in mind throughout this series is that the main character in every single story that will be told in the next few weeks is God. And in these stories, the same God that we are talking about is the same God that we worship today. Malachi 3 says this, I am the Lord, and I do not change. God is always the same. 
Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means the truth about God in these stories that we read from thousands of years ago is the same truth about God today. Here's another thing about this series. Over the next few weeks, we're going to read stories that seem unbelievable. And you're probably going to pause and think, wait a second. Stuff like that doesn't happen. That's just ridiculous. And there are a lot of things in the Bible that I read and think, that's not possible. And I'm right. And Jesus would agree. But Jesus said in Luke 18, what is impossible for people is possible for God. Right? So what is impossible with man is possible with God. So the main character in all these stories are not the people and what they are able to do. The main character is God. And every time you read a story in the Bible where you think, that's not possible, here's what you have to keep in mind. What is impossible for people is possible for God. Right? God has the ability, if he is God, to reach into his creation and intervene and do things under normal circumstances. If he didn't intervene, wouldn't be possible. Right? So if something impossible happens, it's only because God kind of changed reality and stepped in to do something different. And that's exactly what happens in the story that we're talking about today. Today, I'm going to talk about three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their story is told by Daniel in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And I'm actually going to jump back and forth between telling the story and reading the Bible. But if you want to read it for yourself, you'll find it in Daniel chapters 1 through 3. So in chapter 1, the book of Daniel opens in Jerusalem, uh, being, which is the capital of Israel, getting invaded by a king named Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon. And Babylon is modern-day Iraq. And Nebuchadnezzar invades Jerusalem. He pillages the city. He ransacks the temple that was dedicated to God, and he takes all the gold. And then he decides that he wants some of the Jewish people to be his slaves. So he picks out the best young men. The talented ones, the smart ones, the handsome ones, the ones without defect because they had to be perfect. And he brings them back to Babylon. And this is how Daniel, who wrote the book of Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's stories intertwine. They're all Jewish people who are living as slaves in Babylon. And all four of these men were extremely committed to their faith. And the first instance we see of this is when they're in the palace eating a meal. And they were actually fed really well because the king wanted them to be healthy in order to get the most out of them. And so they brought meat and wine that were actually dedicated to a false god. And they don't want to eat it because they know that this would violate their relationship with God. So they head to the attendant and they ask if they can just eat vegetables. It's the only time in human history someone's like, can I just eat vegetables? Please, no wine, no meat. But they say, like, hey, after 10 days, if we look unhealthy, then we'll eat the meat and drink the wine. But 10 days later, they're actually healthier and better nursed than those who ate the king's food. So while they were in slavery, God blessed them. He took care of them. As a matter of fact, at the end of their training, the king brings them in and does a bunch of tests on Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are 10 times better than all the other young men. And so the king gives them a promotion, and God blesses them again. Daniel 1 says this, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. And that's how the first chapter ends. Chapter 2 opens with King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. Go figure, right? So he wakes up and he brings all of his advisors in. He says, 
tell me what my dream was and what it means. He says, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream was, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. No pressure. Side note, some of you all have been in dating relationships that were like this. Right, you're dating a guy or girl who legitimately wanted you to read their mind and they got mad at you when you couldn't. Right, tell me what I'm thinking. What do I want to eat? Read my mind. That's an unhealthy relationship, okay? Right, this is an unhealthy king. Tell me what my dream was and what it meant or die. So naturally, all of his people start panicking, but then they remember that Daniel interprets dreams. So they bring Daniel in and he crushes it. He says, in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. And its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. And that was the dream. So Nebuchadnezzar asked what it means, and Daniel explains, you are the head of gold. Your kingdom is the best one. And he's pumped. But Daniel continues to explain that after Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom will come another and then another, but then this rock is going to come and smash them all, and the rock will become the kingdom that lasts forever. Now, looking back, as we have this perspective, we know that the rock is Jesus, right? We know that the kingdom that lasts forever is the kingdom of God, but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't pay any attention to that. All he heard was that his kingdom was atop, and the head was made of gold, and that's how chapter two ends. Well, guess how chapter three begins? with King Nebuchadnezzar building a gold statue of himself that is 90 feet high using the gold that he stole from the temple. And in case you didn't know, Iraq is very flat. So if you put up a 90-foot gold statue in the middle of a big, flat place, you can see it for miles. And that was the goal. And once the statue was done, Nebuchadnezzar issued a decree. He said, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So the trumpets blow and the whole city hits the ground, except three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? And imagine what that is like. Thousands of people bowing down to a 90-foot tall statue, and they're just looking around trying to figure out, like, what do they do with their hands? Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought, to, brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? Right? Why don't you worship me? Don't you know who I am? Am, didn't you hear the trumpets? I know you saw the statue. It's huge. I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? What God will save you from me? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But then check this out. This is what else they said. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. But even if he doesn't what? Right? If he doesn't save us, if God doesn't deliver us out of that furnace, if we burn up the moment we hit that flame, please know that we will not let go of our God to serve you or your statue. Right? You don't even need to waste time blowing the trumpets. We are going to bow down. We're not letting go of our faith. And this goes as you would expect. Not well. Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the furnace, and he's watching them, assuming they will die. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. And again, now we know that that was Jesus. Then Nebuchadnezzar uh, came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Notice that he didn't call the fourth guy out. Like, no, you stay there. I don't know you. (laughs) You're freaking me out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke, right? And imagine how weird this moment would be, like not just physically unharmed, like they don't even smell of smoke. The Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. And that's where we're actually gonna stop Uh, in the book of Daniel. But if you keep reading on, you'll see that Daniel actually ends up in a very similar situation a few chapters, chapters later, and God shows up again. But for today, we're just focusing on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I want to start by pointing out five quick things from this story. So here's the first thing. They had faith in God, right? They loved God. They trusted God. They weren't letting go of God, Number two, they had hard lives. Now, I just want to take a time out here because there are a lot of people, and by people I mean Christians, who get stuck on this. And here's what I mean. They have faith in God and they had hard lives. Both. Now, somewhere along the way, a belief system crept into the church where Christians start doing this faith math in their head that goes, if I really love God and God really loves me, and I have faith and enough faith and the right kind of faith and do the right things in the right order, God will put a magic faith bubble around me and keep all the hard things out of my life. Which then implies, if you have hard things in your life, you must be doing something wrong. You don't have enough faith. God's punishing you. So let me just clear this up for everyone. That's not in the Bible, right? And this story is proof of that. So they love God, they have faith in God, and they have hard lives. Here's the third thing. They had to make a choice. They could compromise and let go of their faith and possibly avoid conflict and pain, 
or stick with their faith and face a worse conflict and pain. Right? Those were the deals on the table in front of them. The fourth thing is this. They chose to hold on to their faith. They chose to hold on to God and their faith, not knowing how it was going to work out. And that's really important. Right? We have the Bible, so we know how this story ends. They didn't have access to that. They didn't know how or if or when God was going to deliver them out of their circumstance. Right? They didn't know that Jesus was going to be standing in the fire. They didn't know if they were going to die that day. They didn't know how it would play out. But they still chose to hold on to their faith. They knew that God was with them. Right? They knew that God would take care of them either in this life or by death. But their choice no matter what happened to them, was to hold on to their faith. And in this circumstance, God took care of them. He protected them. He delivered them from the fire. But guess what? The next day, there was another hardship. You see, here's the fifth thing that I've overlooked for the past 20 years of following Jesus. They survived the furnace, but right after that, they just went right back into slavery. Right? Here's the truth. They all died in slavery. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't look at them and say, your God is so awesome. Go on home to Israel. Go back to your wife and kids. Go back to your parents. What happened after they came out of the furnace was that they went back to being slaves in a country that they didn't call home. They didn't get their freedom. Right? There's no bow on the end of this story. There's no happy ending. They all died in slavery. Right? And that's the part that we leave out of Sunday school. To be honest, that's the part that most pastors leave out of sermons. But it's the reality, right? This is the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego loved God, and they still experienced trial after trial after trial. They still experienced pain. And while God was with them through it all, God didn't remove their hardships. And I don't know about you, but that feels like real life to me. So here's the application from this story. Right? Here's what we can learn, because the same God who is with them is the same God with us. And I really encourage you, write this down, take a picture, hold on to this. But this is what we learned from this story. God's grace is more than enough to give you the strength you need to go through whatever you have to go through in this life. Right? And I don't know your life. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going to go through later today. But here's what I know. God's grace is more than enough to give you the strength you need to go through whatever you have to go through in this life. You see, if I stood up here and I told you that I know you're going to go through something hard, but if you had more faith or better faith or if, if you love God more, and like I know you love God, but if you love God more than you already do or if you served him more or if you gave him more money or if you went home this week and did something big for God, that he would make sure that the fill in the blank with the scariest thing you never want to have happen in your life would be kept away from you. If I stood up here and said that, some of you would try it. You would. So you're saying my kids will be fine and cars will stay on the right side of the road and the cancer cells won't grow and my husband will never do this and my wife will never say that and all I have to do is do this and this and this. I'm in. And there are churches all over the world that teach that. Religion has been making those types of promises for years. Do this for God, and God will keep the boogeyman away from your house. And some people have believed that, right? And their hearts were in the right place. 
So you're saying if I spend a year doing missionary work in a third world country, so you're saying I need to go on a crusade, so you're saying if I do this thing, God will keep this hard thing away. And guess what happened? The hard thing came anyway, right? And some very confused and frustrated people looked up at God and said, what are you doing? I thought we had a deal. And they lost their faith. And let's be honest, that's where some of you are right now. You are barely hanging on because a good God plus my life doesn't add up. So let me clear this up as well. There is no promise given in the Bible that links your level of faith with the absence of hard times in your life. That if you have more faith, the hard times will go away. It's just not true, okay? It's not in the Bible. But that pastor on Instagram told me that if I had more faith, God would heal me, right? They told me that that pain was a part of God's plan, and if I just trusted him more, he'll reveal that to me. It's not true. There is no promise given in the Bible that if you have enough faith, bad stuff will stay away from your life. Right? We literally just saw that in the book of Daniel. But taking it a step further, this is what Jesus promises in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And then three chapters later, they nailed him to a cross. Right? Jesus knows what he's talking about. Now, there are hundreds of promises in the Bible that link your level of faith with the presence of God's grace and strength in the hard times of your life, right? That's, that's cover to cover. But Jesus promises that no matter how faithful we are, there will still be conflict and pain. And listen, sometimes we bring those things on ourselves, right? Sometimes we bring that pain on ourselves because we did something stupid, we went looking for trouble. We made a decision that lacked wisdom. We made a decision that lacked care for other people, that lacked care for ourselves. We all do that, right? We all make choices that are selfish and lack wisdom, and the result is that bad things happen to us, right? I've done that so many times in my life. But sometimes, even when you are doing everything you know is right, even when you are doing your absolute best, sometimes it feels like that hard time and that try on that pain comes looking for us. I mean, I love God. I really do. I've tried my best to follow him, but there are things that I've gone through in my life that I didn't deserve. And I have friends that love God even more than I do, who trust him more, who devote more time and energy to him, who have more faith than I do but they have still lost loved ones to cancer. Right? They've still been cheated on. They've still suffered miscarriage after miscarriage. They've still been abused by someone that they trusted. And you get that, right? You can fill in the blank with your own story, but nothing you can do can keep pain away. And I'm truly sorry about that. It's a fundamental truth about life, and following Jesus doesn't negate that. But God's grace is more than enough to give you the strength you need to get through whatever you have to go through in this life. Paul says it like this in the Bible. He says, I have this thorn in my flesh. My life hurts and it won't stop. And I have begged God. I have pleaded with God at least three times saying, God, will you please take this painful thing out of my life? And every time the answer from God is no. 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 Paul, the pain is never going to stop. It's going to be there until your funeral. 
But this is what else God says in 2 Corinthians. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace is the only thing that is enough when the times get really hard. And they will. And while we beg for God's power, his grace is enough. Right? God's grace is enough to give you the strength you need to go through whatever you have to go through in this life. And this is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't let go of their faith. Right? It wasn't because they did some faith math in their head and thought, if we don't eat the bad meat and we don't bow down to this golden statue, God will see that, then he'll owe us one, and he'll keep us safe. I mean, I can't prove this, uh, but I think I'm right. I think as they were getting ready to be pushed in that furnace, they were bracing for impact. I do. I think they were ready for the pain that that fire would bring. I think they thought they would die because they weren't holding on to God because they thought God would wave his magic wand and get them out of it. They were holding on to God because that is where their strength came from. I'm going to leave you with this uh, because I know that there are people in this room that are thinking, I can't catch a break. I'm about to let go. I'm going to let go of God, let go of my faith, let go of my marriage, let go of my sobriety, let go of it all. Because the truth is I can't do this anymore. I need a break. And I get it. And if you decide today that you are done to quit, to bail, to give up, you can probably find someone who will support that decision. The truth is, it's not really my job to tell you what you should do. It's not. Uh, I don't know your story. Uh, knowing this church, it's probably pretty horrific. Um, I don't know your story, but God does, and God doesn't change. And whatever impossible thing you are facing right now, I have no idea how you're going to get through it. I don't know how you're going to face it. I don't know how you're going to survive it. But know this, God's grace hasn't changed. And in your weakness, he will give you the strength to keep going. So don't quit. Right? Don't quit. Don't give up. Because God's grace is big enough. Let's pray. God, um, we're struggling. Uh, you know, to be honest, uh, there are things in our life right now that, that we didn't ask for, um, that we didn't cause. God, it, it just hurts. And I know there are so many people in this room right now that are here because they're crying out to you. God, they're here because they want to see you and they want to feel you. And God, the truth is there are people in this room right now hoping that the faith math works where if they show up every Sunday, maybe you'll do something in their life and, and maybe, God, they'll see your power. But God, the truth is time and time again, you share with us that your grace is enough. So God, I pray this week that that is true. Not that you mean that is true, but that we understand it to be true, God, that whatever we are going through in our, our life, whatever trial we are facing right now, it is not because you don't love us. It's not because you don't care about us. It's just because life is hard. 
But God, I pray this week we can decide that your grace is enough. God, that it's enough to get us through whatever we are going through, that we can hold on to you, even if things don't get better. Because a life with you is better than a life without you. God, we're just so thankful for stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that took place thousands of years ago um, because we relate. God, it feels weird to relate to that story, but we understand what it's like to be in that situation that they're in. And the fact that, this, that you were there then and you are with us now brings so much peace to our life. So God, we're just so thankful that we have the example of that. But God, we pray that we can experience the same grace that they did in their story. God, give that to us this week. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.